done. The time of the Borg is over. As are you. Even if somehow you survived, you'd be different. Changed. Broken. Alone. No. No, I am not alone. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, defeating the Borg with hugs. (laughs) And we're here this week for finale week because we are going to tackle not only the finale of Star Trek Picard with the episode The Last Generation, we'll also later in the show look at the Mandalorian Season 3 wrap-up, The Return, and uh, we'll also have some Star Trek news later on. But Tyler, enough uh, preamble. This was it. The final journey of Jean-Luc Picard. Right? I think? Um, I I hope so. Like, let's just leave it here. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the best I can do, because when you have one Patrick Stewart screaming at the Borg Queen, you're not his mother, pew, 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 with his phaser. I'm like, just end this. Please just end this journey. What are, this is not the same character at all, you know, And because look, the, the, the journey of season one is this is a lonely man and he has to learn to open up. Journey of season two, this is a man who needs to learn how to love in intimate ways. Season three, this is a broken, lonely man who needs to learn how to love not only intimately, but fatherly as well. And so everything we've known of this character over uh, that, that seven-year journey we were on in where we admired this man. We admired his conviction in his values. We admired his judgment, his diplomacy. We knew that he was aloof. It was a feature, not a bug. What we didn't know the entire time was this was a completely flawed and traumatized man and that we should completely rethink his character based on the last three seasons of Star Trek Picard. So it, this series finale, it's it's done. I can sleep easy just knowing this is the last we see of Jean-Luc Picard. I don't want to see him again. I think that's a terrible thing to say because when I got to the... I remember watching the All Good Things finale the night it aired and I, I knew I had Star Trek Generations coming in a few months, but man, that that spoke to me. That hit me. Um, I didn't mind leaving this off with the crew playing poker again and having the next gen theme playing. I mean, mm, it's yeah. enough, you know, fan service there that eh, yeah, it left me off uh, on a nice note. Although, could they not give us like a little Whoopi Goldberg cameo given some side eye? Was there not like some sort of coverage from like season two that they could have snuck in there during that very moment? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's funny. You and I both called the final shot where I said it would be a gathering in the new 10 forward. And you were like, I think it's going to be poker related. (laughs) And we got both. Yeah. (laughs) So we both called it. And yeah, I I just think it's the writers of the Star Trek Picard series are a bunch of Debbie Downers because like it's like they looked at what came before in TNG and saw nothing but what was what they viewed as what was wrong with the character they did not examine any of the strengths of the character. No, And so every season was just like, what can we kind of neg on the character of Picard? What do we not like about this man? And it's like, 
it's such a bizarre approach. And, you know, like, people give, say, Ryan Johnson crap for, like, the way he handled Luke Skywalker, but it felt like an organic journey. It didn't feel like Ryan jo uh, Johnson watched the original Star Wars trilogy and was like, what sucks about Luke Skywalker? And that's what, like, the whole series of Star Trek Picard was. Now, all that said, like, I didn't hate this episode. I thought as a, um action-based finale, it was thoroughly middle of the road. Like, mm -hmm. Star Trek does not do action particularly well. And, frankly, its lunch was completely eaten by the Mandalorian premiere the <laughs> night before. Like, yes, it was. <laughs> embarrassingly so. Like, I just watched the Mandalorian premiere literally, like, I finished it up, like, ten minutes ago. And I was just like, this is embarrassing. Like... You had a sequence there, and we're going to get to Mandalorian later on, but, like, where it's a bunch of barriers, and the Mandalorian have to, having to fight his way through those barriers. And I'm comparing that to, like, the Worf Batleth fight in this episode, and I'm just like, <laughs> you can't put these two things out there on the same plateau and expect pats on the back if you're Star Trek. Like... Kim, we had that beauty shot of the Enterprise D look like it was scraped from Star Trek Online with the terrible CG. Yeah. And I think about how majestic that ship looked back in the days when they were using models. And it just that moment fell flat for me because I was looking at something that it looked as if some kid cooked it up on his computer in 1999 or something. And I am kind of confused... It's something I've never really understood. Like, Star Trek will often, especially in the movies, would have a certain amount of Star Wars influence. I mean, I understand. That was the case for any sort of, like, kind of action-based sci-fi stuff going on in the wake of Star Wars. But it felt like it was, like, Star Trek energy with kind of, like, injections of Star Wars influence. Whereas when we've seen a lot of, like, the Discovery stuff or this finale... It's just like, let's just rip sections out of the Star Wars movies. Like, the entire finale of this just felt like Return of the Jedi, where they're flying through the heart of the Death Star to target this thing in the center, outrun the fire to get out. You have a moment of um, Deanna suddenly, like, touching her head and being like, wait, go back, which is the finale of Empire Strikes Back. You've got a zombified Borg queen suspended from the ceiling, commanding a fleet of ships that are all firing, which is like the ending of Rise of Skywalker. I'm just like... Oh, like, okay, Star Trek, you don't do action well. You're kind of just, like, ripping off other things. I don't understand why you can't kind of come up with your own concepts the way that, say, Guardians of the Galaxy does, which clearly influenced by Star Wars, but feels like it's creating its own kind of, like, sci-fi feel and energy to its action. Uh, this did feel incredibly derivative of other sci-fi properties there, but in kind of the, the made-for-TV movie sort of way. Yeah. And I guess this is a television show. Fair enough. but uh, uh, And it's almost unfair to you know, compare the production values of, say, Mando to Picard. Mm. But you kind of know that this has a high budget as well. And as you say, the action is just so middle of the road. Yet again, we retreated to yet a, like another phaser fight in the corridors of the Titan, which I think is the 10th episode in a row yeah. in which this occurred. And it just like roll my eyes. This is terrible action. Um, And honestly, you can't, this is not an homage to Return of the Jedi, which is some of the most incredible visual effects you see. And they're doing it with like 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 practical effects, uh, you know, essentially with models, like racing through that Death Star. Yeah. And they're like, you know, somebody's like they watched Rise of Skywalker and said, you know what my favorite part was? Palpatine's fleet that suddenly <laughs> came out of nowhere and it's this giant fleet. Let's stick a giant Borg queen, the uh, or Borg cube, the biggest Borg cube we've ever seen, and has little antennae sticking out of it. Uh, let's stick it in the in the planet Jupiter. You know th th those gas clouds. Uh, yeah, yeah. There you go. That it, Palpatine's fleet. And I'm just like, 
folks, this is this is just it's okay. We can talk about the story, but if we talk about the aesthetics, the cinema of it all, like this really fell flat for me. I I'm just baffled why new Star Trek continuously goes down the action route when they're clearly not like they can't compete in the field with this sort of thing. And there's times they've done clever things. This was not one of those cases. And if you're going to wrap up TNG, like, don't you want to do something that feels true to the spirit of TNG? This didn't feel like that. It just felt like, okay, here's a generic action sequence that, you know, probably has more money and technique behind it than say the ending of wing commander or something like that. But it doesn't feel particularly special. It's not really that character driven. And that's my final journey of this cast and crew. Like, Nemesis is not a good movie, but when you have, like, that finale with Picard and Shinzon, it, it pretty much works on a character level for me. Um, this just felt so weird and so middle of the road. And I think I, I've seen a lot of people ecstatic about the finale of this season. I kind of get it. The last 20 minutes are like giving you all of the goodbyes you were completely robbed of in Star Trek Nemesis, and it's doing them very earnestly. There's some interesting setups for future things. There's some interesting payoffs to characters in their long journeys. I get it. But in terms of that first 40 minutes, it's so generic. Are they praising the fan service? Is that, is, is that what fans are loving right now, or is it the storytelling that led up to the final 20 minutes of this? And, and I, I hate to sound like a jerk, but I, I think it's the fan service. It's not the storytelling that we got independent of those great moments of like, hey, remember Data and Jordy? They're hanging out again. You know, people might like that from, you know, episode seven or so, you know, and it's just like, that's kind of what irks me. And then the show is even derivative of itself, you know, like I, I thought the lore versus Data, let's go into like a mindscape scene mm. from a couple episodes. I thought that was good. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I think it was one of the few kind of clever things that they come up with. And um, instead of just brute forcing your way out of everything, they're like, hey, why don't we just repeat that exact same thing at the end of this episode with Jack and uh, and uh, John Luke? And, you know, I'm just like, okay. Um, now I guess Data's really regretting not just giving Laura a hug, you know? And, like, <laughs> like, I guess he and Laura could have been getting along versus just, like, destroying Laura in that moment. But it's just kind of like... And also... Okay, now I'm getting the aesthetics again. I, I yeah. Um, the look of Jack in that little cutest suit was terrible. <laughs> it was like like it looked as if he was walking in ski boots when he was actually like onto the bridge. Yeah. And um, they they did take the time to pull the face mask off him. I think they knew that the laser would have been uh quite problematic uh, filming on that set. But I think what happened like back in the '90s, you throw Patrick Stewart in the little cutest suit, and it's essentially like mostly spandex. You put like maybe one layer of like rubber on him and a couple pieces of plastic. You know, he's strutting like a robot, obviously, there. Um, but I think what they did is like they did like a body cast of Ed Spillier's and then they just like piled all that silicon on him the same way that like we had those like wwe wrestlers like go up against wharf in borg suits <laughs> and i'm just like and actually for a split second i thought it was the same stuntman like he defeated one knocked him to the ground and then they actually just reused the stuntman again until i realized the first one popped up at the very end and they were just it was like identical twins i was like okay well somebody like just used the same mold or the same like borg outfit there and i'm just it, it's just i don't know like i some of the fun stuff is you go back to TNG and you see how like they had limited budgets and they had to be creative by working within those budgets. They couldn't go pew, pew, pew. You get an episode like The Drumhead in which 
the tension surrounds a man's career and two men, in fact. You know, you have the ensign who lied about his uh, Romulan heritage and how you have um, the uh, evil admiral trying to take him down for that and ruin his career. But then the admiral goes a little too far and tries to take on Jean-Luc as well. Cam, this this is like a uh, like like a play mm-hmm. almost there, and and there's so much more tension in which people are just talking. It it that's it's so much more existential than what's going on here, which is you know they're taking existentialism life or death, whereas Drumhead it's existential in terms of what is my identity going to be moving forward? How are you defining me? Are you defining me as part Romulan? Are you defining me as a Borg traitor? You know, like that's so much more interesting. And also, like, I um, think about like how the the climax of I, I've used this example many a time, but the climax of Redemption Part One was Worf taking off his com badge, resigning his commission, mm-hmm. and then you see the crew like salute him on his way to the transporter pad to depart the ship. That hits you in the gut so much more than John Luke saying. I need to be a father now. How about a hug, Sonny? And that solves the problem. Like, it just, like, doesn't the resolution of this seem, like, way too neat, considering everything they had built up leading to this moment? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the, well, first off, it's like, you have Jack plugged into the Borg, you know, unit and everything with his Lacutus look, and it's just like Picard plugging him like the way they handled that whole like picard grabbing a cord and just jamming it to his neck i was like <laughs> wait isn't he an android <laughs> like how does this work yeah. like does he have like yeah. his dna at this point i don't even understand the science of this but i'll go along uh, with you uh. and he's able to like you know hang out with jack in his dreamscape and he's basically like you know i couldn't love i wouldn't you know commit myself to something and jack's just like tears up and is like well I'm cured. Let's go. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Like, is that it? Oh, like, cause they had to like kidnap Picard in uh, best of both worlds. And it was, at least you got the sense. It was not going to be an easy reversal. Whereas like, this seemed kind of like a snap your fingers through the power of love and uh, away we go. <laughs> well, the problem was, is like, uh, Picard in Best of Both Worlds 2, he had not learned how to love yet, Cam. Mm. Otherwise, it would have been a much easier problem to solve. Um, Who's the character giving the love speech to him when he's Lacutus? Uh, Vash. That's, uh, okay. that's right there. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I, I, uh, there's also just kind of like moments in which you have the Borg Queen reciting dialogue that's for no one else but the audience. And I mean that in like, she says, even if you manage to escape... You're never going to be the same person. And like, as far as she knows, death is upon everyone. Like, what are the chances, uh, you know, Picard and company actually escape from destruction of the cube? It, it's pretty much minimal. Like, she could have almost had the Wrath of, or the, the Khan death, mm. you know, in which at the end of Wrath of Khan, Khan was, con- Khan died convinced he had destroyed the Enterprise yeah. and Kirk and company, you know? And this was just—I don't know. I just—it it just kind of the writing. It seemed like a, a little bit like let's punch people in the face with exposition. The episode started with all the main characters telling each other things they already knew. Hmm. You know, like um, you know, if the Borg get to Earth, then Earth will fall, and if Earth falls, everything else will fall. I'm just <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. 
Is that for me, the audience member? Or is that for you? Uh, who, who, you guys have been talking about this all season long. Uh, okay, Tyler, the best was Space Doc. <laughs> They're like, if Space Doc goes down, we're screwed. <laughs> I'm like, are we? Yeah. I didn't understand the uh, grand significance of Space Doc. <laughs> um, is this is that the thing that's holding the shields together around planet Earth, like the defensive shields? It seemed to be, yeah. Well, it's just let, let me point out, like. Um, okay. Uh, like, of all people, Admiral Shelby, Shelby, <laughs> R.I.P. goes out like a total chump, R.I.P., who was the mo- uh, so anti-Borg, you know, like back when we saw her in Best of Both Worlds. She's like, you know what? I was wrong. I really do think things should be centralized, you know? And, and like, um, so I guess the, the uh, space stock is kind of the centralized hub versus having things decentralized. It's like, it, it's why we don't uh, like have like centralized like computers now. That companies rely on it, it's the, there's no such thing as a main computer you know you you rely on the cloud you know so if like one server goes down you've got other servers to rely on it's, it's just it's kind of like basic computing did not make its way from the 21st century to the 25th century and maybe maybe the third world war had something to do with that but it's just the logic of it all where um <laughs> speaking of which can can i can i recite to you the the plot of season one of Picard. Let's go for it. Season one? Okay, let's go for it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Season three. I thought you were going to start at one and then move into two and then do three. (laughs) I was like, wow, okay, let's go on this journey. I I want this to be a three hour long podcast. No, but I'm going to, I'm going to break it down based on everything we know by the finale. And please stop me if I'm wrong here. Mm -hmm. But um, we know that um, Vatic the Changeling has been dispatched by the Borg Queen to go fetch Jean-Luc Picard's corpse at Daystrom Station and then fetch Jack Crusher in order to take part of Picard's brain and find some sort of additional DNA needed for Jack in order to enact this plan in which people going through transporters who are 25 and younger will turn into Borg drones once Jack triggers something in a giant Borg cube hiding in Jupiter. Is that kind of the, 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 if we knew everything that was going on throughout the run, if we knew everybody's motivations, that is kind of the plot, not the story, but the plot of season one of Picard. Yes, that's, that's correct. Yes. I'm still a little unclear. And I think this will be the sort of thing that when I actually do a a rewatch of this season, maybe if we do one later down the road, that there's probably a line just explaining it. But what exactly does the Picard DNA do? I don't know. Like the the that that they scooped out of his uh, corpse. Yes, yes. Because Jack was already having those like, you know, red door moments and everything like that. That's before he's connected to the the Borg hub or anything. So I'm a little unclear what the Picard DNA did in terms of that little bit of an extra something or other. It was Plotty McPlotterson. You know, it's like, why do they need to, like, because you had the whole, like, portal weapon. Yeah. And that was just supposed to be cover for the bigger thing. Okay, I'm sorry. Look, if Daystrom is losing, like, like Picard's corpse, are they all going to say to themselves, like, oh, my God, the Borg are about to take over? Like, like, no. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I don't know. It's just, it it's like like very opaque storytelling, like fake mystery stuff for the sake of it to build intrigue. And if we kind of knew what the motivations of the characters, uh, you don't have to reveal everything in episode one, 
But if you are kind of building it up slowly, because the problem is you have so much padding from episode between episodes, what, five and eight, because mm-hmm. they wanted to get there to the reveal and then go from there. But they, they just really had to pad out that second act of the season. And I'm just like, it, guys, like, you, yeah, it, like, you don't need to do that. You know, that, that, that is like not how like, like great television writing is done nowadays. Well, there's even padding in the first four because there's all the stuff with uh, Worf and Raffi investigating the criminal underworld. And, like, ultimately, what is that really resulting in? They ended up... Okay, I'm trying to think. Uh, <laughs> oh, they ended up getting, like, that key that the Vulcan gangster used to get into Daystrom. Yeah, it's basically just finding out that there was a break in a Daystrom um well they knew there they, they knew there was a break in yeah they knew there was yeah and then essentially get into daystrom and they realize the the big thing that was stolen was picard's body so the whole like yeah. the seed of raffi and wharf storyline brought them to the discovery that picard's corpse was missing because the you know uh, the the antagonist needed to scoop something out of his brain for dna and we're not quite sure why mm-hmm Yes. So I'm just like, okay. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, like, I, here, here's, and this is why I, 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 I totally understand why audiences would have loved this episode because there were so many great moments. You know, I can't, I, I admittedly, <laughs> I chuckled when they're at uh, the 10 forward bar and <laughs> Data says, there once was a lady from Venus. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> you got me there with like that bad dad joke, that callback to like way back. Was that the, the Naked Now, I think? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, go, wait, yeah, you got me there. You know, those moments. I get why, like, kind of the, the nostalgia trips work for folks. But, like, as we're talking about the story, I, like, this is not a very interesting story to tell whatsoever. No, it goes back to kind of what I was saying, I think, in an episode or two ago. Like, this is just an action show. And you were talking earlier just about, like, the logic of having kind of the centralized shields. It's just there because it's an action plot element, right? Same with, like, the the whatever sphere in the middle of the Borg cube they have to shoot out. It's just very like by the numbers. How do we just assemble action beats kind of storytelling? And that's not what Star Trek is really good at. Um, Well, their action beats. Star Trek's not very good at that either. No, no, it's character driven stuff. And I mean, I would have loved if like the characters had to like make genuine decisions in this episode. There was a lot of like foreshadowing that someone was going to die. Riker's like, well, Deanna, I'm just going to go over to the Borg cube now. Is Deanna like, you know, cowers and oh God, oh God. And then there was like Picard walking out the door being like, well, it's been an honor to, you know, serve with all of you. And it's like, uh, okay, okay. It's just like basically like dangling over the audience like one of these people is going to die. But at the end of the day, this was not at all like bold storytelling. This was incredibly safe stuff. They didn't have any interest in shaking up, you know, the pieces at all. It was like, how do we kind of like just deliver fan service that makes all the fans say, yeah, we love these characters and kind of that's that, the end, folks. Well, you know, last week I said that I could sit there and beat by beat watch it and not be surprised as yeah. the finale unfolded like beat by beat okay i will say the one thing that genuinely surprised me i did not see coming was the return of q in that stinger oh my god 
Um, I also like to think that how, you know, Q made his entrance to one Jean-Luc Picard um, with this big courtroom full of people, uh, like remnants of like Third World War yeah. trials. And he makes his entrance to Jack in his bunk room. <laughs> like, okay. um, but I think the connective tissue is that uh, Q introduced himself to both characters when those characters were the exact same ages. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> Tyler, the series Star Trek Picard hates itself. Like, it actually seems it to actively hate itself. They murdered, like, their entire cast or sent them off all into space at the end of season two, all of the original characters. And, like, season three, you basically had the complete erasing of Picard's love interest that we spent all of season two building towards, you know, them getting together. She's gone, I guess. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You had the kind of the Borg set up at the end with Gerardi being like, I'm going to create a kinder Borg or whatever. See you later. I'm going into space. And the Borg queen died in uh, or merged with Gerardi. I should say not died, but merged with Gerardi. And then they were like, no, no, no. Here's the real Borg queen. Never mind all that. And then the Q thing. I'm like, okay, the one, the one thing <laughs> season two sort of delivered a little bit was like an emotional farewell between Q and Picard. And then they were like, screw that. <laughs> like, Are they just like admitting that season two was absolute garbage? Usually when like people retcon things, they wait a few years or something. They did it in like a few months. <laughs> I think they knew. I think they knew. Like, cause, oh, think about this. How much harder would it have hit audiences had the Borg Queen not appeared in, like, what, 75% of the second season, Yeah. right? And now she appears here. We have Alice Krieger's voice as, you know, kind of the prime queen. And I, I have to say, I, I thought it was pretty cool, the effect that we saw of her Yeah. in kind of that decrepit state. Uh, I, I did look. So it was Alice Krieger just doing the voice. She thankfully they did not put this seventy year old woman into all that makeup. Well, Kim, was it like, like I, I, and it's good when like VFX folks or special effects folks. I, I question what it was, but like, was it a mix of makeup and CG, or was it solely like somebody else in makeup and Alice Krieger was lip syncing, or or was it this kind of like a a computer generated like rendition of the Borg Queen? What was your takeaway? Yeah, okay, I actually know this. It was an actress named Jane Seymour, not Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it was an actress named Jane Seymour that they covered in prosthetics, and she was the one suspended up there acting the scenes, and then they had um, Alice Krieger do the voice and dub over. Okay, so um, I thought it looked really cool, but yeah. how much better would that moment have been had we not hung out with the Borg Queen for, you know, uh, you know uh, what, seven episodes last year? It would have had a lot more impact, like the reveal of it's the Borg Queen. And I know, like, I read an interview with Terry Metalis saying, you know, when he was envisioning this season, he just thought, what would be Picard's worst fear? It would be seeing his son go through the experience he went through in Best of Both Worlds. And I'm like, okay, there's like a kernel of something there. I agree. But, like, yeah, yeah. the impact it would have had if you hadn't, like, milked Borg stuff through seasons one and two of this series would have been quite significant. I really, like, when I finished this episode, I really, like, thought to myself, maybe they shouldn't have called this, like, Picard season three. They should have called it, like, I don't know, the next generation Requiem or something like that. Because it just... It felt so strange connecting it to those previous two seasons where it's repeating a lot of the same 
storytelling, a lot of the same plot elements. It's just like, maybe they should have done this a little more standalone. Well, I'll just say that the legacy, you know, we're, we're here at the series finale. The legacy of Star Trek Picard is it's a series that had no central vision. It was never auteur-driven. And the best shows on television are all auteur-driven. And as you say, it just seemed as if they tried to, like, just wipe everything clean, like, season to season, because they just didn't know what they were doing. And I, I like, I, I kind of feel bad about how season two unfolded. It's just so clear that they, like, it fell victim to, like, COVID mm-hmm. and in terms of, like, last-minute rewrites for, like, all the scripts and just essentially, from my understanding, I could be wrong, though, but from my understanding, it's like they had to essentially, like, change, like, the... the thrust of the story it was not meant to take place in like la right or anything like that and so it just if, if you're just kind of like scraping for ideas and you're like okay sure board queen um you know uh prime universe has been uh changed like what like what can we do like i, I it, it's it's kind of sad that this is what it was but cam i've got to believe like patrick stewart he's getting this pitch meeting and he says yes to star trek picard but then they throw that entire pitch away and create season one and he's okay with that he signs on and he does two more seasons after that i'm just like and he's an executive producer he has a lot to say in this i think he had a lot to say in terms of like we need picard to find love i think he's working through some of his own stuff where he's like we need picard to become a father Mm -hmm. this is why you don't let you know your lead actor be the driving creative force of a property like this and i mean it would have been a bummer had we never like knowing that there was a possibility we could have a Star Trek Picard, but it just never came together. But we did not know that this is what we would have gotten, <laughs> you know. And knowing this is what we would have gotten, like I like had I known way back in the day, I would have been like, okay, if we just never touch this Star Trek property again, like Picard, the character specifically. Remember that moment when we were in Las Vegas and Patrick Stewart came out. And announced this show. That moment is forever colored for me now. That memory is I like, I don't even know what to make of that anymore. It was so exciting in the moment. And I just did. There was no way I could have ever dreamed that this would be the journey. Like, it's insane. The, the memory is hilarious in retrospect <laughs> in terms of how excited I, I, can, I, I can't tell you how excited I was to be with like thousands of people. Thousands of the yeah. biggest Star Trek fans in the world in that giant ballroom in Las Vegas seeing Patrick Stewart walking out on stage saying he's been thinking a lot about Brexit and what the world needs now <laughs> is Jean-Luc Picard. And I'm like, well, you didn't give him to us. Like, like, geez, Louise. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know. Or optimism because he talked yes. a lot about how – he would get letters from people. I think it was a police officer who had a very, very stressful, trying job, and it would write letters about, or had written a letter about how he would watch TNG to kind of get himself through kind of the psychological burden of his job. I hope that officer wasn't like on duty watching these seasons of Picard. They're so dark and depressing. Like, they are not uplifting. I mean, I guess you could say the last 20 minutes of this episode was uplifting, I suppose, in where it left its characters. But, like, so much of the series Picard is kind of mean-spirited and violent and downbeat and is basically just like, let's drag people through the muck for nine episodes so we can have an inspirational message at the very end. It's very strange. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, I, I, I swear I could drag on this for another 30 minutes. There's some things I wouldn't mind just, you know, chatting about. Um, You know, Worf yeah. on the bridge saying, and I will make it a threesome. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> yes. Um, What ruined that moment was when Riker said, do you even hear yourself? Like, I think you should have just left that as kind of a throwaway line. Yeah. And it would have been so much funnier because audiences would have been snickering at home. Whereas, like, th- then you have to make the other characters self-aware. So yeah, I knew I said I was going to bring up things that I liked. Um, I did like Data getting kind of his his Borg moments, you know, where he was saying like, you know, like there's this quiet suffering, so much misery, you know. I I hate them. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's Data being emotional about his own experience, and then you know, I, even Data's moment where he's like, you know what, I'm going with my gut. You know, I know the the odds are stacked against us, but trust me on this. And I was just like, okay, that's cool. And I, for for a while, went like after Jordy took the con, I was wondering like, why isn't Deanna like at the helm at this point? And they're waiting to give her her own moment because they had to get Data to do the uh, Falcon, uh, the Millennium Falcon into the Death Star move first, you know. And so, okay, I I, I like that they did give uh, Troy that moment, and they also gave her the moments in which she's doing the therapy session with Data, and she looked bored out of her mind and was trying to book <laughs> vacations. I'm just like. Ah. I could understand that. It was sure. fun. Yeah, it was fun. It's like those types of character moments work in that, you know, in that kind of, especially the wrap-up stuff. Like when they had the scene of Seven with Tuvok, I was like, I never thought a Tuvok scene would be moving yeah. to me because I'm just not the world's biggest fan of that character. I think he was very stiff on Voyager. But when he played the video of Shaw giving his commendation to Seven, I was like... I should not be this moved by this scene, given all that has happened in the previous 45 minutes. But taken in isolation, really effective. And it legitimately made me excited to see Seven get promoted to captain. Was that really Shaw doing that video, though? He was just like, (laughs) Commander Hanson, or should I say... Seven of nine. I think she should be captain. <laughs> I'm like, that's a completely different character than the Shaw that we met 10 episodes ago. You know, it, it was the character that we met in episode nine by the time we got to episode nine. But um, yeah, I, like I know what you're saying. Um, and apparently um, we got the exposition at the end explaining that um, the changelings, they didn't kill their uh, the people that they were uh, impersonating. <laughs> they kept them all captive. I'm like, well, good news. Yeah. Uh, you know, two bucks safe. I- I'm glad to hear that. I-, I thought it was kind of stupid at first, but then I realized there was that episode of Deep Space Nine uh, in which we it was revealed that Bashir and uh, Martok had been kept captive as well. And I was like, okay. That kind of makes sense. And I, I, I yeah. but I did think it was goofy when like they had the changing go through the transporter and then they grabbed him by the arms and like he did like the, the brief morph look and then he just stood there. I was like, if I was at Changeling, I'd be like turning my fingers into knives and like getting off that, uh, <laughs> getting back in the transporter as soon as possible. I remember you and I talked about that back in the day. I don't remember what, I think it was when we did the like ultimate fighting episode where we were debating like if Odo in a fight would just like turn his limbs into blades and just take people down because we'd never seen that in Star Trek, but it's, they must be able to do that. Right. Like T-1000 style. And if not, then turn them into like hammers and just like, like bludgeon people like nonstop. Yeah. Like a mix of uh, the T-1000 and uh, Judge Doom from Roger Rabbit. I did like when uh War finally pulled the phaser out of the hilt of his sword. And then he said, yeah, swords are fun. When Riker asked him why he was hiding that phaser the whole time. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know. It didn't feel like they quite understood the character potential of Worf based on what he did in DS9. 
Yeah. It really felt in some ways like we are kind of doing Worf from TNG, where he was kind of the uh, quote machine. And I guess they're potentially going to do more with that character going forward. I mean, I, they certainly can if they want. I hope so. Um, yeah. It, it was just like... It was a kind of show where they would set things up, whether it was Worf as this sort of peaceful warrior, um, Data being merged with lore. I would love to watch an episode about that. Just about Data dealing with being kind of kind of human and dealing with emotions. Like, to me, that's an hour of television I would happily watch. But, like, when you create, like, a eight-episode action show, you have no time for any of that stuff. I know. I know, man. Um, it's... It's kind of like, okay, I'll just get get it out of the way. Okay, we might have some sort of announcement of like a Star Trek Legacy spinoff series. Yeah. Or we might not because we are going to be talking about like the announcements of uh, the Section 31 film. We also have the trailer for Strange New Worlds. We're recording this um, you know, Thursday evening, just a few hours after the, uh, the series finale of Picard aired. Who knows? But Cam, if we have a Star Trek Legacy series, it's going to take place on the Enterprise uh g yeah. um don't know exactly what happened to the f did they take the f and then rechristen that as a uss titan is that why you know like like it was not destroyed from what i recall though but um we're gonna have raffi and, and this is what my issue is is we had Worf saddled with raffi and i think it's just Worf can make any dud of a character be great and raffi was the only character to make it through all three seasons other than uh Patrick Stewart as a main cast member. Of course, you know, Seven was in all three seasons, but she was recurring in season one of uh, Picard. Yeah. Um, Rafi just never worked. She just never worked as a character. I don't, I don't know what they can do with this character to make her work in any sort of potential spinoff series as the executive officer to Captain Seven of Nine. I just, I, I, I don't think they're going to cut bait on her, but if it's like, it just feels like we're just... She had such terrible dialogue, and it's like I felt bad for Michelle Hurd because, like, I don't know how she plays this dialogue other than seeming like she's, like, really simple. Like, and she's always talking to herself, explaining exposition to the audiences. And it's just like, I don't know. Like, I'm, I, I'm a little wary of any sort of Star Trek legacy sort of spinoff if, you know, like, Raffi's going to be number two on the call sheet. Well, and it's like the character of Raffi, it just feels so... That was like the one character they could not give any sort of emotional payoff to that was in any way effective to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All the others worked. You know, Shaw in a video worked. And that's a character introduced this <laughs> season. Um, and like Raffi, they had the little bit where it's like, okay, her family's talking to her now. She's going to get to meet her grandson based on Worf leaking, you know, her commendations. Uh, that's fine. That's nice. But like, it didn't mean anything. I think it was her granddaughter. Her granddaughter. Sorry. Yeah. And um, it didn't mean anything to me. And it was just like, okay. And then when they set it up as like the seven um, Raffi and Jack Crusher on the Enterprise, it was like, is this something that excites me? Not really. No. I would have been far more excited with the idea of a Captain Worf. Yeah. As, and, and Seven of Nine as executive officer. Right. Like totally, and I mean, they set up you know Q like matching wits with Jack Crusher, and I'm like, I don't know, man. Q's gone toe to toe with like Picard and Janeway and Cisco. <laughs> uh, I don't know if this one's gonna be that much of a challenge, really. <laughs> well, I mean, like John Delancey and Ed Spilliers, they're about you know the same age, so I think it it works there. So yeah, 
They may know each other, you know, from the um, Hollywood retirement home at this point. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know. Um, yeah, it's they just both like... play bingo together. <laughs> I don't know what the future of this is. I know that Terry Metalis has been screaming to the heavens for Star Trek Legacy, it seems, and all the press and everything, and working in teases here. I thought it was kind of a little shameless to end with like that credit teaser because it's like, is this a finale to the series, Picard? Like, let it sit as that and launch, and launch something on its own where you introduce Q. That's fine. Just do that. It just felt a little desperate to me to do th- that sort of thing. Um, and there's also been that, you know, announcement fairly recently that they were going to focus more on limited events and movies. And we'll talk about a movie pretty soon. Um, you know, then you shortly after that had the announcement of an ongoing Starfleet Academy show. Is there going to be an announcement of an ongoing like Star Trek Legacy? Are we going to have two shows going at the same time set aboard the Enterprise? Uh, what do you mean? Well, Strange New Worlds is on the Enterprise and oh. then having this. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, okay, so my initial thought was like they had rechristened the ship the USS Picard. And mm. I I thought that would have actually been kind of cool. Yeah. And then, I honestly, I thought it was kind of dorky that they revealed it to be the Enterprise G. Like, I, I mean, I mean, I guess... Riker can finally say that he commanded a ship kind of called the Enterprise, sort of, because yeah. like the whole Titan thing didn't make sense because they called it the Titan A, despite the fact that it was Riker's previous command, despite it being an entirely different class of ship. And I think there's some sort of uh, folks involved behind the scenes. And it had like this interesting art rendering of how the creation of the Titan A was essentially they were pulling pieces out of the uh, original Titan and then like kind of almost like Lego turning it into kind of a, a different class of ship. And I'm like, that is a bit of a stretch there to like try that. That's how you have to like claim that it was, you know, Riker's previous command. So I guess the lineage goes Riker in command of the Titan followed by Shaw followed by Captain Seven, and it's now the Enterprise. So I, I know, it, 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 it seems a little convoluted to me. I just don't know why they were so like just needy that they had to have it be an Enterprise at the end. Like, what's wrong with continuing on as the Titan? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I we had a whole series called Star Trek Voyager about a ship called Voyager that everyone fell in love with. It's okay to create like a new iconography for your series it doesn't have to fall back on recreating the same thing over and over again i think it would have been cool to have the titan we we had an entire spin-off series called deep space nine that took place (laughs) on an alien space station that didn't even go to warp you know like yes do something different i mean like like i just like it was just interesting because uh, you know i yeah you go back tng was trying to do something different than tos you know and then Deep Space Nine was trying to do something different than TNG. And I just kind of feel like a lot of the other spinoff shows have just been kind of like like too much ship-based stuff. So that's why I'm intrigued by uh, Starfleet Academy. Yeah. Uh, certainly not intrigued with like Alex Kurtzman being executive producer. I'll say mm-hmm. that much. But like, I, like I, I'm down for them to do something a little bit different. I don't need every new spinoff series to be Starship-based. Although I guess it is called Star Trek. You know, and maybe yeah. I shouldn't complain too much, but like, and, and look, I'm enjoying Prodigy. I'm enjoying Lower Decks. I'm enjoying Strange New Worlds. I, a starship is a pretty cool setting for a show. So as you said, Cam, may, maybe there will be two shows on concurrently set aboard uh, a version of the Enterprise. The cynic in me was like, boy, 
They just like spent a whole season using these Titan sets that they paid for. Now they can slap the name Enterprise on it and be like, "Hey, we don't have to we don't have to change those sets at all. We're on the Enterprise now, but we got those sets." Yeah, speaking of which, Mimi, uh okay. We we'll talk about the section 31 movie news in just a bit, but like one of the news that came out of that announcement is the fact that they like Kurtzman wants to do like a Star Trek movie every 2 years. Mm-hmm. I if I'm being honest, why not do like a just recycle some sets once a year, have a Star Trek holiday special or something like that? I, look, you've got the Enterprise D bridge. Why not have like a little spin off holiday special where it's a day in the life of Commodore LaForge, like curating his Starfleet Museum? And I don't know, you get to see him hanging on the bridge and maybe maybe it almost turns into uh, a night at the museum sort of show or something like that. Like, I don't know. But like, it would be like, this seems just like kind of an economical thing to do. You've got the bridge sets uh, for like uh, uh, Strange New Worlds, uh, Discovery. I'm sure those sets can be folded and unpacked as well in Toronto or, you know, wherever they're going to film the next uh, Starship, uh, Star Trek spinoff, you know. I think there's like, but my concern though is like Kurtzman wants to do a, a streaming series every two years. And I'm like, oh, so it's going to be like uh, whammy, kablammy, pew, pew, pow, pow, pow. That doesn't interest me. That they could do like these ship in the bottle things. They could make them cheap and it'd be far more interesting, you know, than what they would do with, which I, I think it's going to be a pretty cheap looking Section 31 movie whenever that comes out. Oh, yeah. And I think like, you know, Marvel, Marvel's not making a lot of great movies these days, but what I appreciated was like they, you know, they, they rolled the dice on that Guardians holiday special, which I didn't think was very good, but they also did the Werewolf by Night one, which I actually thought was kind of fun and creative and did some odd things. I would rather Star Trek, if they're going to crank out one of these things, you know, one of these movies every couple years, do something that's kind of weird and interesting that you can do as a one-off. Fans are going to watch it. Um you are not dependent on people watching it weekly for 10 weeks or eight weeks or whatever. You can just kind of have fun in that universe for a couple hours. And, you know, you mentioned the Jordy, um, you know, <laughs> night at the museum ship show or whatever it would be. Uh, yeah, that could be fun. Like open it up to all sorts of stories. It doesn't have to be the like, Oh my God, earth is at threat and there is a fleet that is attacking and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I've seen that in almost every season of new star Trek. I know it just doesn't interest me if that's what we're going to get there. So, um, were you disappointed or were you okay? Okay, oh well, it's a leading question. I'll say I'm okay with Admiral Janeway not showing up here. Like I'm okay with you know kind of Tuvok essentially serving that purpose since he was set up earlier on. Um, we were kind of hoping for it. We were wondering if there might be an O'Brien cameo. Yeah. I don't need them to stuff this finale with tons of cameos that might distract or take time away from our main characters. And I will say when I look back on this season, there are a lot of great moments with Riker and with, uh, with Crusher, especially Um, Mm -hmm. I I liked this different journey that we got with data. I I've been singing the praises of LeVar Burton, like really making like Jordy a a far more three dimensional fleshed out character than when we got in the series. You know, I think they did a lot of the characters, right? Um, minus the title character, though. Who would you give like the MVP to in terms of the returning characters? <sighs> and see, it, it depends on how you judge like like the parameters for MVP. Um, Not in terms of job function, in terms of like 
a, the return of a character you think really delivered? Uh, and you have to make me choose one. Well, why don't I rank them? Okay. If that makes sense. Though. Sure. Okay. Why not? Yeah. I think where we left Jordy LaForge and where we found him now, that, that goes number one for me. Where we left uh, Worf and where we found him now, number two. That tracks for me. Um, uh, where we left dead data <laughs> and they, we find him in kind of this new form, <laughs> um, that, that's number three for me. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I, but I feel bad because I think they did a lot of real good things with Crusher. Yeah. But kind of the, the there's a lot of like padded story um, there. Actually, why don't I switch Crusher and Data around? I think like Crusher feels more organic. And so far, I'm yeah. I'm with you in terms of your rankings. Um, like yeah. the the story of Crusher, like I was a little iffy on the Commando Crusher stuff. But like in terms of her emotional journey through this season, it felt like kind of an honest journey for that character versus like the data stuff there's a lot of like <laughs> a lot of wedging that character in and retconning yeah. and stuff so yeah and then the Riker stuff like we already had seen him in Nepenthe and then it's just it didn't really quite feel like the same Riker you know like his journey didn't quite track for me um Marina Sirtis did not get to do much as Troy which is quite unfortunate yeah. and so and then last on the list I mean I'm gonna put the title character there like Jean-Luc Picard yeah yeah, we're on the about kind of the same page. I that sounds pretty much bang on with what I was thinking. Um, I yeah. would put seven if we're adding other legacy characters. I'd put her right near the top as well. Well, I mean, they they just did not have any sort of real grasp on what that character was in those first two seasons, where she's serial killer and then she's just getting to fights with her with her partner the whole time. And Cam, I really hope that like Seven and Rafi aren't like still together as a pair. Yeah. At, you know, in any potential legacy spinoff, you know, and they didn't have like chemistry in season two. I don't. And like the thing is, they didn't really interact much in season three. And I was fine by that. And I just my fear is, are you going to have a first officer and a captain that are in a relationship? And a lot of the tension comes from being in a relationship. And I'm just like, this just does not hold appeal to me unless I mean, I don't know, maybe if Troy was, you know, executive officer to one uh, uh Riker on the Titan maybe that could have been interesting you know because, but I know those characters have chemistry you yeah. know and their care their their relationship was not defined by them fighting like nonstop so I thought it was a bummer in regards to seven that they didn't have more to like do that was interesting for her in this finale like all that stuff with like the cloaked ship and everything and the shooting at the fleet I'm like uh, this is just not exciting at all. I mean, I, I liked seeing Seven give a captain's speech. That was kind of a cool moment. Jerry Ryan really pulled it off. I liked that when she had her, uh, at the end of the episode, like her captain saying, they didn't reveal it. They pulled the old Captain America at the end of, I think, the second Avengers, where they cut it before you heard what it was going to be. Um, but I kind of I kind of like that. Yeah, I, I thought that was fun. Um, so, like, I, I liked what they were doing with Seven as a character. I just wish it hadn't felt so just kind of like blah during the action stuff. I will say though, the, um, the, the shots of the Titan, like whipping around behind the fleet. Mm. Um, I actually thought that that was actually well done. Like it looked exciting. It kind of reminded me of some of the shots that we'd see of the defiant during the dominion war. I thought that was like on the better side of the action stuff that we got, um, this week. Um, Cam. Okay. Out of all the brand new characters created in star Trek Picard, Who's the best one? Not, and they cannot be a returnee, no sort of legacy character. Who's the best new character? Well, it's Shaw. Shaw walks away with it easily. Okay. 
I don't yeah. even think there's competition, uh, really. Rios? Oh, of the whole series? Uh, yeah, uh, the whole series. So I was Star thinking the season. Uh, yeah, the whole series, I would still put Shaw as number one. I would probably put Rios at number two. Can, can I ask you a very concerning question? Yes. Who would be number three on the list after that? I, I'm like I gonna... think it's a pretty big drop-off. Okay, so I'm going to rule out Girardi. Um, I'm going to rule out Rafi. Elnor's ruled out. Um, Narek is definitely ruled out. I enjoyed Rizzo, but there's not much to that character at all. Uh, oh, uh, I, I actually, you know who? Actually, I think there's an obvious answer. It's um, not Tolin. Oh, Laris? Uh, yeah, yeah, Laris, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. So... Uh, just like Shaw, not in the main cast. Uh, yeah, that's pretty damning. That that's incredibly damning. I thought Sutra was a character they could have done more with too. Yeah, yeah. Was she a main character? No. I know, I know. It, it's just very damning that like out of like the best like characters, um, I will say this. I think you like Sutra a whole lot more than I did, but uh, I thought she was okay. But again, they kind of forgot about her <laughs> after that finale. But it just. It, like they just really, the show had no vision, and they didn't really care about the characters that they did create here. And uh, the fact that Raffi is the one who makes it all the way to the end, and she's just a dud of a character, that's also quite damning as well. Just they, they didn't really give much thought to her. I wish I had more enthusiastic things to say about Jack Crusher. It's just like when you create a mystery box character, I never got to like know him in an internal way the way I did for characters on previous Star Trek shows. Well, he was quite fun, like, the first, uh, I don't know, I'd say, like, four or five episodes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, he had, he had spark and charisma. I think they could have, I think if you did not hire the right actor, it could have been, like, a real grind to sure. see through all of his scenes. And sure. I think I think we did luck out with casting, despite the fact that we keep mocking a man who's 35 and <laughs> pretending he's ancient when yeah. in, like, he's going to get mocked because he's playing a 22-year-old. Like, sorry. Yeah. Although, I, let me point this out. Um... This line from Rafi, where she says, the Enterprise D, that thing's ancient. Cam, um, <laughs> I'm not even 40. Um, the Enterprise D is younger than I am, and they're <laughs> calling it ancient? <laughs> Screw you, Rafi. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's cold, Rafi. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. So, some uh, other kinds of things I wouldn't mind kind of bringing up here, though. Uh, Cam, it, like... Uh... Picard's saying to Jack, I joined Starfleet to find the family I didn't have. <laughs> and I found them. And I let them in. Cam, this is not true. Yeah. This is complete BS. Picard did not join Starfleet to find a family. That is absolutely uh, not true. No, that's and retconning. He eventually found one after about 40 years in service. Yeah. Uh, and it took a long time for him to join in on poker. And. The family grew apart uh, quite quickly after uh, he gave up command of the Enterprise, you know. Uh, so I guess he got like, what, like between uh, 1994 and 2002 was when he had a family, you know? Yeah. I just call shenanigans on, on that claim. But look, I, I think Jean-Luc was trying to do anything he could to get through to Jack at that moment. <laughs> um, I thought it was a very nice moment at the start where they had uh, Walter Koenig. Um, voicing President Anton 
uh, Chekhov, obviously a tribute to Anton Yelchin, who passed away uh, a number of years ago, who played younger Chekhov from the movies. I thought that was a nice little touch and a it felt like a clever way to get in a bit of fan service that didn't like distract from the show or didn't feel like they were shoehorning it in. Yeah, and I I just wonder how old is the president of the Federation <laughs> at this point? He'd have to be like 90, right? Uh, yeah, well, is it like the son or the grandson yeah. of Chekhov? It's, it's the son. It's the son. Okay, yeah. yeah, he'd be up there. He'd be up there for sure. Okay. Um, Another moment I loved... <laughs> Worf falling on Tiana's chair and then snoring. <laughs> like, I'm with you, Worf. I, like, if I had been up like that, expelling that much energy, getting shot, I'd be with you with the snores. And also, because I've been watching Star Trek Picard Season 3 uh, this entire time as well. I feel like uh, Season 1 is the one that would put me to sleep the most, uh, even though I, I think Season one's better than 2. Season 2 is not yeah. sleep-inducing, though. I might rewatch season one again. I can never imagine myself rewatching season two. Um, you know, Kim. Okay, okay, so like every season, we always take a break to kind of like think about what before we do like a full season review. I would prefer like maybe we take like kind of a longer break until season three is out on physical media because I will, I will buy season three on physical media. Like it, it, it at least garnered that much from me. Mm. And I think maybe then we can, I assume you would buy it on physical media too, wouldn't you? I don't know about that. I'm no? not okay. sure about that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. very curious about the behind the scenes stuff. That's the thing. Like if it comes out and I am impressed by the special features they are offering, then there's a chance. Yeah, the way, like I, I bought season one. I did not buy season two Picard. Um, So I, I don't, that's a real like wait and see for me at this point. Um, Yeah. Well, if. I buy season three and you do not, then we will have each bought a single season of <laughs> Star Trek Picard <laughs> on physical media. Yeah, it's like if they are delivering special features on par with what they were offering on season two, there's no chance in hell I'll buy it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Seven of Nine goes from Fenris Ranger to First Officer to Captain in one year. Mm, yeah, well, I mean, Jack was like rushed through Starfleet Academy in a year, too. Well, he's a Nepo baby. That's so. true. Yeah. Um, at least Chris Pine had to spend four years at the Academy before he was made captain. Yeah. Yeah. Also true. Yes. <laughs> I guess they're counting her four years on, on Voyager. That's her time at the Academy. Um, I, I think that's entirely accurate. Like when you're serving basically as a professional member of a Starfleet crew and they gave her a very lofty position, <laughs> like they did not make seven. They really did. Like she wasn't Neelix's assistant in the kitchen or something like that. <laughs> Stellar cartography, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, Cam, another thing I need to comment on. Okay, you know how I did like this moment where, you know, the screen says one year later and mm. we fade back to the bridge of the Enterprise D and we see Riker, Picard, and LaForge kind of saying goodbye. And like that moment where Jordy said, you know, she's always taking good care of us. That moment worked for me, except mm -hmm. it was incredibly distracting to see that one year later, those three characters were wearing the exact same outfits that they had been wearing the previous scene. They had not changed. And I was like, really? You could not do like a quick like like um, wardrobe change? It, like, like, really? That kind of irked me, though. Do you think this was laziness? Or do you think this was like originally there was maybe more of an extended pre-one-year flash forward where they like docked the Enterprise D at the museum and then they cut to the one year and then realized that like the pace 
just didn't work, and so they moved it there. I will point out that Picard was wearing a different outfit in the next scene on the shuttle, you yeah. know? Yeah. So uh, to answer your question, I, I think it's either is equally possible. I think it's 50-50. Yeah. I mean, laziness would not be um, off the table in terms of the series Star Trek Picard. <laughs> yeah. Um, one other thing, that photo that Jack put on his <laughs> nightstand of Patrick Stewart and Gates McFadden dressed in very 90s attire was so hilarious. Like, I was laughing my ass off. That, 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 was, that was a hilarious kind of joke there. Um, what happened to Laris, Tyler? Where's Laris? She, she's on that planet on that diplomatic mission, like, <laughs> drinking at the bar by herself that Picard had promised to meet her at, right? He's with, he's with Beverly now, right? I, they left that ambiguous. Um, but, I mean, come on. Like, let, like yeah. let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. I mean, I guess Laris can hang out with Soji. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sad. It's pathetic. All of, the people, all of the people Picard has abandoned over the years. You've got Elnor, you've got Soji, now you've got Loris added to the pack. Dude, they put <laughs> Elnor on the Excelsior. They blew up the Excelsior in the previous episode. <laughs> and then, like, Terry Metalis is just on Twitter being like, no, no, he's alive. Don't worry. Like, yeah, the know, show cares so little that it's now, in retrospect, he's got to be like, oh, oh, crap. Oh, no, no, he's not dead. Don't worry about it. In case they want to use him at some point. Like, any fan who's not on Twitter is just going to just use logic, and they would know that, like, Elnor's last posting was on the Excelsior, and the Excelsior's been destroyed. Yeah. As far as I know, Elnor's dead, and nobody blinked an eye. <laughs> and no one lost any sleep over it whatsoever. <laughs> okay. Um, Cameron, um, any final thoughts before we kind of mosey on over to some of the Star Trek news this, uh, this week? Well, the one thing was, just with this finale... I was really hoping that they were going to take a swing at something. So it was like, oh man, whether I like it or not, there's just so much to talk about in terms of the decisions they made. And that wasn't the case. They just played it so safe that I was like, oh, like that felt kind of flat. I, I was hoping they would at least try for something, anything. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't surprise me considering like what we got in the first two seasons though. And I think it's in better hands with Terry Metalis. Mm. I think what he needs is a streaming service that understands that mystery box storytelling. If done well, um, I enjoyed it. Uh, in at least uh, five out of six seasons of lost right. If done well, it can be done very well. Um, they've handled it incredibly poorly. It's not done well here. Get rid of it. Strange New Worlds didn't need it. Strange New Worlds is great. Same with Lower Decks and Prodigy. And and you know what? There was some mystery in Prodigy, but it wasn't this frustrating mystery box sort of storytelling where, you know, it's just like, it just seems as if like the studio notes are just like really bad, like exceptionally bad here. Yeah, well, you look at the episode too um, in Strange New Worlds where they like had Captain Angel take over the ship. And then at the end, they reveal that Cybok is out there. It's not like they kept teasing episode after episode that someone could be behind this. It's like, oh, yeah. there's Cybok. At a certain point, we're going to delve further into what Cybok is. That's interesting. That's what I would prefer they do. Like, tease things. I mean, I hated the Q tease at the end of this episode. But, like, at least it was like, here's Q. He's up to something. What could it possibly be? Seasons two and three of Picard seem just incredibly like small to me, like small universe. And like, yeah. we spent like 90% of it in Los Angeles season two. And then we spent 90% of it in the Titan. And it wasn't like we were visiting strange new worlds. We went to Metallus prime 
and we went to Jupiter and we were in a nebula. It, it just, it makes the universe seem like very, very tiny here. And they had so many opportunities if they wanted to go a little, just a wee bit more episodic. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. No, I mean, I would hope that whatever this um, Star Trek legacy is, it gets back to that, like having adventures and missions and what have you. But I, I don't know that I have faith that that's going to be the case. I just wonder if they're taking a page out of Strange New Worlds and just seeing what the reaction is like to Strange New Worlds and saying like, huh, yeah, huh, maybe this whole Star Trek model that's been going on for, you know, 55 years. Maybe there is something to it. Maybe maybe we don't need to reinvent it completely, but we can still kind of update it, though. I just kind of think about like how much, you know, the Mandalorian and Andor is just kind of embracing kind of the aesthetics of what we'd get in the 70s and 80s from the original trilogy, mm. while kind of making the aesthetics um, just seem like that much kind of cooler, you know, like by embracing it. Whereas it seems as if they really, like through much of the Kurtzman era, they, they've been kind of running away from those aesthetics of Star Trek. Yeah, it's not understanding why people like your franchise in the first place. Uh, yeah. And I, I I don't know. Like, I, the Kurtzman era is one of those things, you know, when it's all said and done, we'll all have different takes on it. And it'll be interesting to look at as sort of a body of work when someone else takes it over. But it has a lot of problems. And I remember reading a lot of hate articles about Rick Berman um, during that era. I remember in Cinescape Magazine... Um, Mark Altman would write an article and he would constantly like just rip into what uh, Rick Berman was doing to the Star Trek universe. And I'm like, is that going to be like us where we like complain about Alex Kurtzman? And then in like 20, 30 years, people were like, boy, that Kurtzman era, what a time, what a shining beacon of hope that era of Star Trek was. I, I know what you're saying. I feel very confident <laughs> that Kurtzman will not be given that same revisionist history. Me too. I feel pretty confident there. Yeah. yeah. All right, Cam, well, Strange New Worlds Season 2 trailer just dropped. Um, uh, despite the fact that they're using music from, like, a Verbo Airbnb sort of ad. <laughs> um, it's uh, not Lenny Kravitz, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, uh, a lot to be excited about. Like the, yeah. Uh, the the Spock moment at the very end where he's trying to go to warp. I love that moment. Mm -hmm. um, seeing Klingons that look like Klingons. Okay, I, I'm down with that. Um, I am very concerned about uh, Kirk. I yeah. I think we lucked out with Chris Pine. I think that was an amazing find there with Kirk. Um, my understanding is Paul Wesley is actually like, uh, he's got quite the following from the Vampire Diaries and stuff. Um, if there's charisma to be had, we didn't get it in the season finale of uh, season one, and this trailer is not really delivering it here. And I, I just, I'm not getting the the Kirk energy that I necessarily got from Chris Pine in the Kelvinverse movies. It's a head scratcher, right? Because when I watch him in these, you know, this clips in the trailer, I'm like, this in no way looks or feels like Kirk to me, like mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. It's just like if like some rando off the street walked in and was like, I'm Captain Kirk. And they were like, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Like, I'm getting more energy off of Sam Kirk at this yes. point than I am off Captain Kirk. <laughs> I was going to say the exact same thing. And I'm I not joking. I'm not exaggerating at all. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the actor who played Sam Kirk in Vegas this summer. That should be fun. Um, but my only hope is that when we actually get Kirk storylines this season, that it works like the, there's some actual chemistry between you know him and the actors he's working with but 
it does feel incredibly strange and not in a way that like Chris Pine, I think whenever you recast a famous character with an, you know, a new actor, it can always feel strange. I'm someone who like every time they recast James Bond, every time I see that actor's first Bond movie, I spend basically the two hours being like, is this James Bond? Does this feel like James Bond? I'm not sure about this. I'm going to do the same thing with this guy playing Captain Kirk. But I feel like with um, Chris Pine, I clicked with it pretty darn quick. Probably by like the halfway through point or something of 2009, I was good to go. And when he was like walking under the bridge at the end of that movie, I was ready to like journey into the cosmos with that man. So hopefully that's the case here. This one, the teaser for Strange New Worlds, just... This show is just clicking with me so well, where you can just like flash little character moments, and I'm so excited to see it. I look forward to seeing Lon dealing with a Gorn, as we saw in the uh, teaser. That should be interesting to actually see a full-body Gorn represented on screen for the first time, I guess, since that uh, you know Mirror Universe episode of Enterprise. And hopefully they do something interesting with the Gorn and not just like scary monsters. Um, I don't know, like Anson Mount has promised they're going to take swings this season, so... Please, let's see it. it. It's a wonder what you can do when you seem to actually like Star Trek and you decide to make a TV show, you know? And, like, just there, there's a sense of whimsy that you get from those scenes. And, like, I, I just, it, it feels as if they don't want to, like, spend their time in, like, misery mm. either, you know? And I'm just like, yes, that's what I that's what I want from Star Trek. I want people to, like, like problem solve. And I, I'm like, I, I'm looking forward, Cam, if we ever get those 4K deliveries of the uh, Strange New World season one, I'm, I'm <laughs> looking forward to rewatching that season and doing like a uh, uh, season one review of that. Not looking forward to the Deborah the Nebula episode, but other than that, yeah, I can't wait and to watch those features as well. But like one thing I really noted was when you watch this teaser, it's just a lot of like fun little character banter moments or just loving shots of these individuals. And you had some good voiceover from number one. When you see like what they market with like, say, Star Trek Picard season three, it's a lot of shots of characters like wielding weapons and stuff like that. And yeah. being like, not like the old days. And it's like, uh, yeah. like that's like, it seems to me like Strange New Worlds understands what's fun about its show. Whereas like, I don't think Picard ever really knew what was fun about that show. Not that there was that much fun. Well, you know, one thing I had in my notes, I, I, I just forgot to share, but I think ultimately the, the takeaway from season three, the theme of season three is that old people still have lots to offer. Is that kind of what we're supposed to gather? Dude, there was that point at the start of the episode in the checkoff voiceover where he's like, the young have been turned against us. <laughs> that I burst out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> They've got reefer madness. Hide. <laughs> Get indoors. They're eating avocado toast. <laughs> <laughs> They're on their smartphones all the time. Social media. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing those ticky talk dances. <laughs> What's an influencer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Um, Cam, uh, Section 31, the movie. Um, I like how this was originally supposed to be an ongoing television series. And yeah. they dispatched two of the uh, uh, season one and two Discovery writers to go develop that series, write a script. Um, their names, I'm blanking on their names, but uh, they were not named at all in the announcement of mm. this uh, two-hour movie that we're going to get. Um I don't know. Did they say they're going to film, start filming later this year? I think is what 
Yes, it yes. was. And so I would assume yeah. maybe fall of next year is when we'll see this. Um, <laughs> I, I, um. I don't care. I, I honestly do not care about a Star Trek Section 31 two-hour pew, pew, pew adventure. Like, I just, I, I, I shrug. I, I, I thought Giorgio, uh, that character, I really came around on her when they made her arch. Um, it'd be fun to see Michelle Yeoh after, you know, winning that Oscar and kind of this as being like her, uh, kind of, uh, big, uh, post Star Trek return. Um, I don't know. I just uh, like, this just landed like a thud when that news came out this week for me. Well, it's the sort of thing that I have a hard time caring about because like, I just, I don't know. Like Michelle Yeoh, of course, gives the very like, um, you know, enthusiastic quotes about how she can't wait to continue on with the Star Trek universe. But like, do you think she honestly wants to continue on in the Star Trek universe? Uh, yes, I think, think, think she so? is. She's the one who said like when they're filming uh, Discovery, the Discovery pilot, like, you know, yeah. like we should give Giorgio her own spinoff. She likes this character. And I think she definitely wants to be in the Star Trek universe, but I think she also has been signing up to do many other television series like on Netflix yeah. and other streaming services. She's also uh, walking around with an Oscar. I'm sure she's in high demand to do other feature films. I think uh, this is all that she can ma manage at this point is a uh, two-hour movie that'll probably take, my guess, maximum six weeks out of her life, but I mm. think more realistically. Um probably 28 days shooting. Uh, it'll be directed by um, Alatunde Onsunsami, who is the uh, supervising director of uh, Discovery. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there you go. I mean, I don't know. I just, just nothing about any of the announcements that they made, the quotes that we got from executives, excite me about this thing. And also, like, they announced, you know, the writer. And do you have the name of the writer there? I do not know. Okay, but it was someone who was primarily just, like, Kind of like just random TV stuff. And I'm like, really? Like, if you're going to make a two-hour movie, like, at least put some pedigree into it. Like, give... The way that they did Tony Gilroy with Andor. Basically, like, here's the Star Wars universe. You get to tell your limited two-season show. Run wild with it. Like, why can't they just, like, get some people involved in these two-hour movies? It's low commitment. They don't have to sign up for, like, five seasons of a TV show. Give them the movies and let them run wild. Like, do something really original. When you tell me that, like, people associated with Star Trek Discovery are going to make the movie, I go, oh, so it's just like a two-hour episode of Star Trek Discovery. Like, that's not that exciting to me. Yeah, but I just wonder if, like, I, look, I'm, I'm sure there are thousands of people, like Hollywood writers, that would love to take a stab at Star Trek. Mm -hmm. But if they're going to the pitch meeting and they're being told, like, it has to be focused on Section 31. Yeah. A lot of them are like, what? <laughs> huh? What's that? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the writer here is Craig Sweeney. Yeah. Um, he was a consulting producer on Star Trek Discovery. Uh-huh. Um, he previously wrote on Elementary, that uh, CBS procedural. Uh-huh. Uh, and also uh, CBS's Limitless, that adaptation there. Right. Um, he's also <laughs> on uh, a writer on The 4400, which was, I recall... Uh, like a well-regarded uh, sci-fi show, okay, and uh, and another NBC procedural that I, I watched a couple episodes back in the day, uh, Medium. Oh yeah, with uh, one of the Arquette siblings. So um, Patricia, yeah, yeah. So, I uh, yeah, but I'm just looking through. Oh, uh, he was an assistant to the producers on Dark Angel. Cam, Ooh. there you go. I am sold. Uh, Dark Angel pedigree is what we got here. Okay, shot in our hometown of Vancouver. 
<laughs> you go from Red Angel to Dark Angel. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's just hard for me to get excited because it's like, I, I don't know. Like, I guess this could spawn some, like, whatever. Maybe Michelle Yeoh would do sequels or follow-ups. But, like, as a standalone two-hour Star Trek Section 31, like, okay. Am I going to have to watch a whole movie about her finding her place in Section 31? Uh, I, I hope not. I hope <laughs> it's like she, I don't know, like we find her, I don't know, like, like, because she goes back to the Garden of the Gal, Guardian of the, Un- the Guardian, what, what am I, why am I blanking on Guardian this? of Forever. Guardian of Forever. I wanted to say every iteration. Yeah. Um, She's in some time period in which she's of use to Section 31. She's doing like covert, uh, I don't know, Cam, like this sounds so stupid, just me even trying to describe it. <laughs> like... I don't care. I just don't care. What timeline do you think they're going to go with? I, well, that's what I was like kind of debating. Like, um, like I don't think it'll be um, like 30th century, 31st century with uh, Discovering Crew. Yeah. Um, I think it would make the most sense if it was, you know, concurrent with Strange New Worlds because she's from that time. Ash Tyler. Yeah, but I, I think we're done with that character. Um, can I be honest? I think the the way you do this right is like she's it, it, it takes place in the twenty fifth century. You get cameos from from I don't know, like Worf who's running section thirty one or something like that. You, you you can fit in seven of nine interacting with Georgia. Like there could be fun possibilities there. I don't know if they're gonna be so interested in the fun possibilities. I think the Worf option is a really good idea um, because you got to do something to make this show interesting. I mean, my God, other than Michelle Yeoh's presence, there's nothing this has to offer at all to me. I know. Um, well, on that note, why don't we jump over to the Mandalorian <laughs> cam? Yeah. Um, I think season three finale is uh, far and away the best episode of the season. Um, mm-hmm. You want to know uh, how you do action? You have like, uh, the stakes matter in which Grogu is separated from Mando by the very cool looking Imperial guards. There's tension built up there and how he's just trying to run away. And then you also have the moment where uh, Bo-Katan, who's a character I've been very meh on uh, this entire season, she sweeps in or swoops in and tells Mando to go save your kid. And the moment at the very end where he says, you know what? Who knows where his parents are? I'm going to adopt him. Mm-hmm. I love that moment. And then just seeing them hanging out at that cabin on Navarro where the uh, the ship is parked right next to the cabin. That just seems like the life. I just, I, I was very delighted by this episode, despite this being like a, a pretty bad season of The Mandalorian. Yeah, the season as a whole was a complete mess. But as a like wrap up to the season, I was like, Damn it, Mandalorian, you got me again. Like, what a, like, like, lovely moment there of them sitting together at that, like, cottage. Just perfect. And, yeah, that sequence where Grogu got, you know, locked in that room with those guards. And then you had the Mandalorian needing to go save him. I'm like, that is how you do it. Like, Star Trek is just fumbling all over itself, trying to deliver action beats. It was not about crashing the ship into the base, which, admittedly, there was a cool, you know... Moff Gideon consumed by fire shot but like what mattered was that moment of him needing to get into that room to save Grogu there's nothing really like that in Star Trek Picard it's all like this grand scale exploding stuff all over the place 
this episode delivered that, but it also understood how to make action moments that emotionally connect to the audience, and it did it very, very well. Like, this show, I have a lot of problems with it just overall this season as, like, just a narrative. Like, I have no idea what the story of this season really was, yeah. other than the Mandalorians, I guess, getting their home back. I, I guess. It was all over the place. But, um... In terms of like building well-earned character moments driven by emotion, this show does it really, really well. And just the idea that they kind of did a soft reboot where now Grogu is his apprentice and they're going to go out and go on adventures and work for the rebels. I'm like, yeah, that sounds fun and episodic and enjoyable. Let's leave this the kind new of... Republic, not the rebels. Sorry. Yeah, not yeah. the rebels. Yeah. The new Republic, I should say. And um, the idea that this can kind of just like hopefully leave that serialized kind of stuff that was going on this season behind and move into that sign me up okay well cam i i'm <laughs> this season was a mess uh they kind of th were able to land it by the uh, or stick the landing by the end of it but it doesn't take away in fact i i think this is going to be the first season of um mando that i don't rewatch ahead of watching the next season you know i just yeah i'm in the same boat yeah so um Alrighty then, Cam. What an interesting couple weeks we've had covering <laughs> Picard, covering Mando, and just being able to compare and contrast what's going on storytelling-wise. Both a bit of a mess, both yeah. having moments that really worked. Um, overall, like, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited for Strange New Worlds. I'm very excited to see, like, I, I have faith in what that creative team is going to do next. Yeah, so do I. I think Strange New Worlds is going to be just a blast. I'm counting the days until June when that comes out. But um, I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod and let us know your thoughts on Picard Season 3 and its finale. And of course, Tyler, what are we doing next week? It'll be a very special episode. That's all I can promise you. Because, uh, yeah, we're no longer covering episodes week to week at this very moment. So it'll be fun uh, just trying to get back into our old, like, quirky selves doing quirky topics again. Looking forward to it. And you can, of course, find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam. V is in Vox of Borg. Goodbye, Smith. And you can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P. P is in Photograph of Patrick Stewart and Gates McFadden for the win. O-R-T-O-N. And Cameron, I am upset you did not make there was a young lady from Venus joke for <laughs> your sign-off. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. <laughs> They've got reefer madness. Hide. <laughs> Get indoors. <laughs>